All right, so who in here is a Pac-Man rock star in your day? Okay, anyone? Anyone? Oh, some of you. Okay, all right. Let's pray as we begin to God's word and message today. Father God, thank you so much uh, that your mercies are new every morning. Your compassions never fail. Great is your faithfulness. Lord, we thank you that you have been faithful in our lives. You've been faithful throughout time, even in those moments of life, Lord, when it's been hard to see your hand at work. Lord, we trust and we believe that you are a God of hope, a God of second chances, and a God who wants to move us forward on this life journey that we're on. And Lord, I pray now that as we begin this new series, that today would be the beginning of some important steps in our lives. So Lord, we know that we cannot change on our own. God, we know that uh, many of us have probably tried some of these things before and failed. And yet, God, your word is real, and your word is powerful, and your word has the has the real power to change lives. And so we pray boldly for that today. May the words of my mouth and the meditations and thoughts of every single assembled heart here or watching online, Lord God, may they be acceptable in your sight. For you are our rock and you are our redeemer. And all God's people agreed and said, amen. All right, so today we're kicking off this six-week series called Consumed. Now, isn't it true when we think about our culture, our society, our world, that daily we are bombarded with opportunities to consume? We're bombarded by opportunities to buy, to grab, to upgrade, to purchase, to really get everything that we possibly can. Even if we can't afford it, there's usually a mechanism for us to try to get what we want. So we, during this series, have, I think, appropriately chosen the visual of Pac-Man. Okay, I want you to grab your spread the word, your communication piece. Okay, just take a look at that. Take a look at that. You know, big old Pac-Man. When was the last time you saw a Pac-Man in church? Probably the last time I did, which is never. Okay, all right? But this is very, very appropriate. You see, Pac-Man is a really fun video game, but quite honestly, guys, what a sad existence for a real life. I mean, you know what Pac-Man's all about. It's all about taking the opportunity to gobble, 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 gobble as quickly and as strategically as you can, as many little dots in this maze and in this game. And the goal is to move from the first level to the second level, which becomes a little more challenging, to the third level, to the fourth. I don't even know what the end of the game really is. I've never gotten that far. But you get the point. You try to consume as much as possible in the most efficient and in the most effective way way. While there may be some gratification in that, in real life, in real time, even more than a video game, what we want to talk about over these next few weeks are some of the challenges that that lifestyle might give us. And we just, you know, we want to warn you about a couple things. We want to encourage you about a few things. And we just want to set the record straight about a few things that God's word says regarding our life and regarding our finances. You know, consumers come in all shapes and sizes. This is not something that we're trying to only teach our kids. This is not something that only adults worry about. This is not something where we point to our teenagers and say, stop being so greedy, you know? I, I pay for this house. I, no, 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 time out. We're all in this together. Because consumers come in all shapes and sizes. You know, kids, 
Kids ask for stuff all the time, don't they? I mean, if, if you have kids at home or if you have grandkids at home, I mean, you've been there with me, right? You know, you're in the store and they're like, Daddy, I want this. Or Daddy, do you have a quarter in your pocket? Okay, never as a parent ever, never carry a quarter in your pocket. Okay, because then you'll have to lie to your kid when you don't give them a quarter because you don't want to give them a quarter because they shouldn't be wasting their money on that type of thing. Okay, all the time, Andrew, Daddy, do you have a quarter? No. With all integrity, I can say, no, I don't have a quarter. But kids always ask for stuff. You know, by the age of 18 months, kids recognize logos. This is why when you're driving your grandchild or your kid, in the, and they're in the back seat, and you drive past McDonald's, and they say, McDonald's, okay? They're not saying mama or daddy yet, but they don't know the McDonald's arches. Like, they get that, right? By the age of two years, kids are able to ask for brand name products. Because they just, for whatever reason... They learn it from others. They see it modeled in front of them. They ask for stuff. And then they get a little bit older. Teenagers want stuff. You know, they want what their parents have. You know, they want an iPhone 5, okay, the newest one. They want a new car. And the kicker is this, they want their parents to pay for it. Don't they? I mean, teenagers in the room, let's be honest here, you do. You do. I did. And you do. Okay, we, we want stuff and we want our parents to pay for it. And then we get into adulthood and, and we might have the means to pay for things. And so we do this, we pursue stuff. We pursue new, we pursue shiny, we pursue toys. Now, let me just say, as we kind of get going here, there is nothing wrong with money. It's neutral. It can be used for good or it can be used for evil. And there's nothing wrong with buying certain things. But today... And during this entire series, we want to examine the heart. We want to think about motivation. And we want to challenge you to consider even a bigger picture of your life as you go through this. You see, I would say for kids, for teenagers, or adults, let me just ask all of you in this room, okay, if you found yourself wanting stuff, pursuing stuff, making your life about accumulating stuff, how's that working for you? Really? Is it bringing your life more contentment, more peace, more joy, more fulfillment, more significance, more meaning? Or is it making your life more complex, managing all of it, more stressful? You find yourself having to clean more and dust more and and having to do a lot of other things more that you never thought of when you purchased that thing. You see, What I love about the Bible is that we are not the first people in society and in the world to struggle with this reoccurring human issue. And I would say this is one of the great credible proofs of why God's word is not only inspired, but inerrant and speaks to our situation today. Because what we're going to read from Ecclesiastes chapter 2 is a recurring human situation. I I think that many of us will read Ecclesiastes 2, we're going to go there in just a minute, and we're going to say, oh my goodness, that's my situation. You know, I've tried that. We could insert our own little things in there, and we're going to do that a little bit today. So I want you to grab your Bibles, go to Ecclesiastes chapter 2. You can either look or grab the Bible that's right in front of you, page 658, or you can log on to YouVersion if you haven't done that yet, on your iPad or iPhone, or maybe your Android, your smartphone device. Go to Ecclesiastes chapter 2, 
We're going to start at verse 1. Now, as we go to Ecclesiastes 2, most scholars believe that Solomon wrote the book of Ecclesiastes. Now, I will just tell you right up front, it doesn't say anywhere in the book of Ecclesiastes that he's the author. He never identifies himself as the author. Most scholars believe he's the author. Chapter 2, as we're reading it, and other chapters in Ecclesiastes, man, it seems to describe his life to a T. Solomon is the son of King David. So, Saul, David, Solomon. Okay? And Solomon, in fact, is the last king in the United Kingdom before Israel and Judah split to become two nations. So we got Solomon right here. I think his life, his story as recorded here in chapter 2 is a real example of this pursuit. I think it'll be pretty personal for a lot of us today. Start at verse 2. I thought in my heart, come now, I will test you with pleasure to find out what is good. But that also proved to be Meaningless, that's the word you're going to see over and over again. Laughter, I said, is foolish. And what does pleasure accomplish? I tried cheering myself with wine, you know? Tried having a little drink to loosen myself up, cheer myself up. Tried cheering myself with wine and embracing folly. My mind still guiding me with wisdom, a.k.a. I didn't drink too much, okay? I wanted to see what was worthwhile for men to do under heaven during the few days of their life. You know, Solomon is saying, hey, let's just give it a shot. I'm going to try this. I'm going to try that. Why? Kind of like the guy in the video. Because I can. You know, I'm just going to do it. Okay? Verse 4. I undertook great projects. I built houses for myself and planted vineyards. I made gardens and parks and planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. I made reservoirs to water groves of flourishing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had other slaves who were born in my house. I also owned more herds and flocks than anyone in Jerusalem before me. You know, let's go back there. Look at verse 4 now. And now I want you to insert some of your own things. You know, I undertook great projects. We decided to build this brand spanking new house. You know, we didn't need one, but we could, so we did. And we decided to plant this huge garden outside. In fact, it was a garden that produced so much stuff, we didn't even know what to do with it. And then I decided to go buy Bluebird Park. You know, because I could afford to buy Bluebird Park, and I decided to do all kinds of cool things there. I I bought really expensive water, Fiji water. (laughs) You know that hotel water that you shouldn't touch? I decided to buy Fiji water, and then I bought so many animals. I bought more dogs and cats. I bought the St. Louis Zoo. I just bought the zoo. You know, I owned more animals, more stuff, more property than anyone else in all of greater St. Louis. It sounds ridiculous, but maybe there's a hint of truth here. You see, Solomon's building and his kingdom expansion, it rivaled that of the Assyrians, the Babylonians, the Egyptians, the Persians, all the other major kingdoms of that time. You know, this was no small thing. He wasn't doing a $20 home improvement do-it-yourself project. Okay? He had people doing these things for him. Now look at verse 8. I amassed silver and gold for myself and the treasure of kings and provinces. I acquired men and women singers and a harem as well. The delights of the heart of man. And by the way, when he says harem, he means harem. Okay? 1 Kings Chapter 11, verse 3, said Solomon had more than 300 concubines and over 700 wives. And you thought your Valentine's Day was challenging, right? Okay? You, 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 tr- you try a thousand of them that you're trying to keep happy. Okay, 300 concubines, 700 wives. He could. 
And honestly, part of it is he was establishing these relationships with other kingdom and trying to expand his territory and his land and his rule. And so he would intermarry, even though God warned clearly against it. Now look at verse 9. Look at verse 9. I became greater by far than anyone in Jerusalem before me. In all this, my wisdom stayed with me. He said, hey, you know what? Like, I, I, I'm still all together. I have got a lot of stuff, but I'm all still together. He possessed the equivalence of everything that we might strive for today. In fact, I think as, as we read this together, I know as I read this, I think, man, this is eerily similar to parts of my life where, where I try to, you know, do this, do that, undertake this, undertake that, you know, try to acquire this, try to strive for that. Uh, look at verse 10a. I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. I refused my heart no pleasure. There was pleasure in what he was doing. Of course there was. And it's important for us to just be real honest this morning. To be very, very transparent and honest. You'll always find some pleasure in your possessions. You know, I cannot with integrity stand before you and say, that stuff, it's not going to mean anything to you. It does. You'll always find some pleasure in your possessions, at least for a while. You know, the smell of a new car. Ah, oh, you know what I'm saying, right? I mean, the new car smell. You know, even more so than all the cool gadgets, you get in the new car, even if you're test driving it, and you're like, ah, oh, heaven on earth. Until the Cheerios and the milk and the Diet Coke and everything else gets all on top of the seats in the back of the minivan, you know? I mean, it, it's got that great smell. Or, or you kind of look at your kitchen. And you're like, we're going to redo our kitchen, honey. It's been five years since we've redone our kitchen. Okay, we're going to redo our kitchen. So let's go redo our kitchen. And you finish the project. Great project. Noble project. It's all good. You paid for it even in cash. So you redo your kitchen. It'll bring you pleasure. Mmm, granite. Okay, nice granite countertops. Hey, that's fine, great. I mean, recognize the reality that you will find some pleasure in your possessions. My wife and I have been debating whether or not to put new carpet in our house. You know, the, the carpet, we've been in our house almost seven years, and the carpet was there before we came in. Uh, the people before us never had any kids, never had any pets. I don't know if it's the original carpet, but it was like brand new. I don't think they ever walked in the house, Okay. In come the Petersons, right? You know, trouncing all over that thing, spilling stuff everywhere. And so I had a guy come out and he gave me an estimate. I thought, this is fantastic. This actually came in cheaper than I thought. So honey, we need to redo this carpet. You know, whether we're going to stay in this house forever or whether we're going to sell it. Regardless, we need to get new carpet. That'll just feel good. And, and honestly, I believe that. I believe that having some new carpet will make me feel good. Oh, and the smell of new carpet, okay? It's all good. So my, honey, we got to do this. She said, um... You forgot. We have three kids. Okay? Five, three, and one. That new carpet will not stay new very long. Say, so, all right, fine. She said, let's get a carpet cleaner. Okay, so we got a carpet cleaner from a friend, did the carpet. I got brand new carpet in my house. Okay? <laughs> it's beautiful. It's beautiful. Will I get new carpet someday? Yes, I will. Absolutely. When is that day going to come? I have no idea. Okay? Maybe when the kids are out of the house. Who knows? We're, we're going to get a new carpet, though. You know, for Solomon, if it could be built, he built it. If, it, if he could eat it, he ate it. If he could drink it, he drank it. 
You know, if he could, if he could accumulate it, he accumulated it. More than any other man, he could buy whatever his little heart desired. But here's the problem with him. Here's the problem with us. If you live life to the max, with an endless appetite for more and more and more, and you try to push that appetite and fulfill that appetite, every single time you buy something or get something, it will never be fulfilled. Because I think for most of us, our yearning capacity far exceeds our earning capacity. Doesn't it? Our yearning capacity far exceeds our earning capacity. Every purchase that we make requires something bigger to satisfy the high that we had when we made that first purchase. And this is a slippery slope that we get into. All of a sudden, this desire for more with this appetite, which, by the way, appetites are God-given. We've got to recognize that appetites are God-given. They're drive, and I'm going to talk a little bit more of that in a minute, but appetites easily become obsessions, which become addictions. And when that happens, we get into trouble. And yet, there's something still about the appetite. Look at verse 10b. Look at verse 10b. My heart took delight in all my work, and this was the reward for all my labor. There is nothing wrong with working hard. In fact, isn't there something amazing about working hard, doing a project, providing for your family, and stepping back and saying, that was worth it. That was significant. That gave me meaning. You know, that God-given appetite drove you to produce results and to work hard. That's a really good thing. In fact, I just want to say, you know, in this room right now, there are a number of businessmen and women who either right now or in your past career, you led an organization with such great vision, you provided opportunities that actually paid for your employees' kids to go to school. And you should be commended for that. Y- you did something noble. You pro- that's right, yeah, yeah, seriously. I, it seems weird to clap, but, but no, really, really. Th- think, about, think about it. Your hard work paid off. In multiple ways, over multiple generations, in multiple families. That is a good thing. And even according to the word of God, that is a blessing. Hard work is a blessing. Hard work is a privilege. It really is. That's a wonderful thing. Be proud of yourself for that. Way to go. Nice job. Now let's not cross the line though. And let's not let our heart wander after other things. Because as we think about Solomon's life, we begin to see some wandering. Look at verse 11, kind of a summary statement of this section. Yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done, and what I had toiled, what I would worked really hard to achieve, everything was, say it with me, meaningless. A chasing after the wind, nothing was gained under the sun. When we're consumed by something other than what we are made for, we are pursuing of false freedom, something that will not satisfy, something that'll make us hungrier and hungrier and hungry. In fact, I think there's a a little formula, a little flow chart that I want to show you up here on the screen. You see, the more that we pursue things, the the more we pursue things, the less content we are. The more we pursue things, the less content we are and the more insecure we feel. Some of the most insecure people in the world, they look, they look great. They look fantastic. 
by the world's standards, but inside they are insecure because they're not content. The thing, whatever the thing is, the thing we're trying to pursue becomes the object of affection. We try to use the thing to become that which will fulfill our appetite. It becomes an idol. You know, personally, let's get personal. How do I know if I've let my appetite get out of control? How how do you know? Let's, let's run it through a little filter today. First thing, ask yourself this. Am I less content with what I have? You know, how do I know if I've let my appetite get out of control? Today, am I less content with what I have? And then the second thing, am I more insecure? Even though I have what I want. Am I less content with what I have? Am I more insecure even though I have what I want? If you answered yes to either of these questions, today and this series is a great time, a great opportunity to make a change. You see, Solomon realized, this really isn't doing anything for me. And if we're brutally honest, we might realize the same. And here's why this ultimately leads to insecurity. Because Jesus, a few hundred years later, said these really important words, Sermon on the Mount. He's got hundreds, maybe even thousands of people, you know, listening to him talk. And he's hitting all these different topics. And he said these important words. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Say that with me. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where is your treasure? Where are you finding security? Because if you put your treasure in this pursuit of stuff and possessions and accumulation and everything else, you will only have an endless appetite for more. But the amazing thing that God offers to us today, we see it in Jesus' life. We read about it in the New Testament epistles. We see that he purchased us. He purchased us. Jesus purchased us. Not by gold or silver, but by his precious, holy, innocent blood. You know, this is not about putting Jesus as the object of our affection. Could we do that? Sure. But I think it's even more than that. Jesus wants you to know. And Jesus wants you to to receive in faith that you are the object of his affection. And because you're the object of his affection, he created you, he made you, he loves you, he purchased you, the Bible says. He purchased you, not with gold or silver. He could have paid for you cash. But he did it in a more noble way. With his holy, precious, innocent, catch that? Innocent blood. He purchased you, redeemed you, calls you his own. And because he calls you his own, he now gives the opportunity to live a different kind of life. He died for you, which means he forgave you. Canceled your sins. Canceled the written code, the Bible says. And now gives you a new life. And so your life doesn't have to be about accumulating and consuming more and more and more. Instead, satisfied fully because of Jesus, we can try a different approach. And Paul talks about this in his letter to Timothy near the end of his life. First Timothy chapter 6, verse 6, he says this. But godliness with contentment is great gain. What if we did that? Godliness with contentment is great gain. What if we tried cons- contentment over consumption? Contentment over consumption. Contentment over consumption. That would mean two things. First, that we would change our heart. You see, this becomes a spiritual issue. 
This is, not, this is not practical advice. This is a spiritual issue because it's a heart issue. For where your treasure is, there your heart. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So we've got to check our hearts. And in faith, Jesus is the only one who can change our hearts from the inside out. He changes our hearts. He does something with them. So that instead of going after the immediate, he fully satisfies our appetite so that we might be about that which is long-term, that which is more significant, and even that which is more eternal. So we want to ask Jesus today to change our hearts. You know, if you're feeling less content today, if you're feeling more insecure, let's ask Jesus to change our hearts. We're going to do that in just a minute in a time of confession before we receive the Lord's Supper. But the second thing is this, change your habits. Change your heart and change your habits. It's one thing to go to God and say, God, I'm giving this to you. And that's a big deal. That's a really big deal, probably especially for some of us here. It is also a big deal to say, okay, God, I trust, but now I need to change my habits. And so the way that I want to encourage you to change your habits throughout this entire series is we're going to give you a weekly challenge. I alluded to this in my opener this morning, but now let me tell you a little bit more. Weekly challenge. Okay, first of all, let me say as we discuss these weekly challenges, have fun with this. Okay, have fun. Have fun changing your habit. Do this with another person, either your spouse, with your family, if you've got kids in the house still. They're actually learning about this in children's ministry right now. They're going to hear the same weekly challenge that I'm sharing with you right now. So if you forget it, I guarantee you they will not forget it. And they will remind you. I mean, parents, you know how this works. They tell you what you need to know, what you need to bring, all that kind of stuff. So uh, do that. If you're in a small group right now, do this in your small group. You know, be accountable to one another in your small group. Discuss it. And if you use the Growing Deeper as a way to spend your 15, if you got one on the way in, a hard copy, it's in there, this weekly challenge. But also, if you receive our daily email reminder and the daily Spend 15 Growing Deeper, at the bottom of every day will be this weekly challenge in case you forget. Ready? Drum roll, please. Here it is. Weekly challenge number one, stop spending. Did you guys just feel the earth shake? Okay, all right. Stop spending no new stuff for two weeks. Now, in full disclosure, I knew this weekly challenge ahead of time. (laughs) So I went to Lowe's yesterday. Okay, bought a couple things. Got a little project I'm doing at home, okay? A modest project, you know, a simple project, a, an inexpensive do-it-yourself project, but I went to Lowe's, snuck in under the radar before the 5 o'clock service, okay? But for you, okay? <laughs> Stop spending. No new stuff for two weeks. Now, you need to interpret this for yourself. Okay? You, you really do. You really do, okay? I would argue, though, probably many of us, maybe not all of us, but many of us could live out of our pantry and out of our freezer and fridge for two years. <clears throat> I mean, two weeks, okay? Two weeks. Uh, if you need to go to the store to get fruits and vegetables, fine, okay? I don't want it. Don't you come blaming me, okay? If all of a sudden your kids are sick because I couldn't go buy a medicine, okay? Use your head, common sense, all that kind of stuff. But really, try hard. Stop spending no new stuff for two weeks. For some of us, that won't be a very big deal. 
For others of us, that'll be incredibly difficult. Incredibly difficult. But sometimes the best way to change a habit is to rip off the band-aid. Okay? To go cold turkey. And so we want to encourage you to stop spending no new stuff for two weeks. Again, interpret this for yourself. You go as wild and as crazy as you want. Okay? But you determine it. Now, it was kind of funny after the 8 o'clock service. I had, I had a bunch of people who came up to me and said, we just bought a new house yesterday. I said, well... There's no furniture in that new house for a couple weeks, right? Okay, however you want to interpret that, fine, fine, that's fine. But the heart of the matter is this. We are, as people of faith, we are consumed by a God who loves us, who died for us, who has purchased us, and who has given us the opportunity to have a significant, meaningful life. Let's not waste it. Let's not let our life become about the consumption of other things. And may God, by his wisdom and grace, give us courage to even make hard decisions as we journey this path together. Let's stand and let's pray. Gracious God, you know We're all in different places. God, you know we're all in different situations. We all have different baggages, all kinds of luggage we carry from the past regarding this concept, regarding the endless appetite that we have, the drive we have. Lord, so I pray that as we walk down this journey together, God, I pray that we would see the benefit. We would see the beauty of not only a life well lived, but a life that is content, a life that is godly. And Lord God, that we would see the great gain that comes from allowing our treasure to be you and not anything else. Lord God, be with us on this journey. Encourage us along the way. Send people into our lives who might challenge us and also encourage us. And God, give us hope even as we make difficult changes so that more people may be blessed, more people may be changed, more people may see what you have done and want to do for them. In the name of Jesus, amen.